Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I am your host, John Daigle, joined today by a man who I removed from hibernation because the half PPR and rest of season rankings are out at 444. He has them available for everyone for both FFPC and underdog leagues. It is none other than the man himself and friend in life, John Paulson. John, how's it going? Uh, not bad. Uh John, I, uh, you know, the, the never too early rankings are up. I've been tweaking them a little bit as, you know, some of the data has been coming in, news has been coming in. Uh, you know, they're more of a gut gut ranking at this point. Uh, and then after the draft, we'll do the full projections for uh, 2023. But, you know, a lot's happening. So good time to talk. It is a lot, especially as 4 for 4 returns from the combine with a lot of news to discuss and I want to do this differently because there are projections and rankings to discuss as you have on the site, as I mentioned for everyone, but also there's a lot of news happening in potential free agent agreements and statements in general from coaches and GMs at the combine. And so I want to intertwine everything in one episode, one helpful episode for everyone ahead of next week's very big week for all of us free agency. And that Paulson starts with, of course, the breaking news on Monday that Derek Carr is the first quarterback domino to fall in agreeing to a four-year deal for $150 million with $100 million in total guarantees with New Orleans. We have to wait and see how the rest of his contract breaks out annually since he is setting the precedent, in my opinion, for the Geno Smith and Daniel Jones deals, both of which we'll get to in a bit. But right now, as we know, Carr has not finished top 20 in fantasy points per game among quarterbacks and five consecutive seasons, including a QB 22 finish with the Raiders last year. And so our discussion isn't really about Derek Carr. It's actually about what happens to Chris Olave, who's currently being drafted as the overall wide receiver 15 and underdogs big board tourney right now. So your thoughts on Olave with Carr in 2023. Well, generally speaking, I'm a fan of Chris Olave. I think he's a good player, really good route runner. Uh, Matt Harmon's uh, reception perception uh, charting confirmed that coming out of college. And one of the reasons I drafted him in my keeper league, happy to have him for the next uh, decade, hopefully. Uh, but I think, you know, when Derek Carr signs somewhere, uh, it's sort of a, well, it could have been worse or it could have been better uh, in terms of what this means for the receivers at that for that team so mm -hmm. you know if he had signed with the jets you know it could have been worse could have been better for garrett wilson and elijah moore uh he's kind of a low-end from a fantasy standpoint he's kind of a low-end qb2 uh he's more of a compiler in terms of he's he's out there he's playing in 16 17 games uh but he's not lighting up the scoreboard he doesn't add anything really as a runner uh should have had his best year uh with Devonte adams uh in the fold and did not so kind of concerning on that front but he is an upgrade over Andy Dalton and Chris Olave played very well or at least was very productive you know as part of this rookie class uh with Andy Dalton just a sort of a competent baseline starter Andy Dalton and I think Carr is an upgrade over that he's not much of an upgrade but he should be an upgrade and I think you know you look at uh, what's going on with Michael Thomas I think that's probably the other domino that has to fall in terms of Olave's upside so if, if Thomas moves on it's probably better for Olave in terms of his you know baseline targets per game uh you know you could argue that if Thomas returns that would help Olave because there's another weapon on the other side of the field but it's just really hard to trust Michael Thomas right now given the way the last couple of seasons have gone so 
Uh, we'll see. I mean, this. I think generally speaking, this was a good signing for Olave, but nothing to you know move him up any significant manner in the rankings. Alave, of course, sixth in yards per route run among the 200 receivers who ran at least 200 routes last year as well. So a spectacular and I would argue underappreciated rookie season as well. Something else that has happened recently in breaking news is that Tony Pollard has now officially been slapped with the 10.09 million franchise tag a cheap number honestly for running backs especially given the explosive players like Jacobs and Saquon Barkley that are also up in the air for getting the franchise tag as well but really what I want to talk about Paulson is Mike McCarthy's comments at the combine because we've discussed Kellen Moore leaving and Mike McCarthy thus taking over play calling this upcoming season for Dallas but his quote at the combine was very interesting in that Kellen wants to light the scoreboard up, but I want to run the damn ball so I can rest my defense. I think when you're a coordinator, you're in charge of the offense. Being a head coach and being a play caller, you're a little more in tune with everything. I don't desire to be the number one offense in the league. That's a real statement by a coach, by the way. But moving on, he continued, I want to be the number one team in the league with a number of wins and a championship. And if we got to give up some production and take care of the ball to get better, then that's what we'll do because we have a really good defense. Right now, Paulson, all the rumors I heard from the combine as well, we'll see by next week if it comes to fruition, is that this team actually is looking at cutting Ezekiel Elliott too. So what are your thoughts on Tony Pollard now officially returning to this Cowboys offense? Uh, well, I just actually did the, uh, news item. I they, they brought me out of retirement to do the news for, <laughs> uh, today. I think, uh, Jen's off and anyway, we don't have anybody set up to do it. So I'm, I'm doing some of the bigger, uh, items. I did the, the car news as well. So I dug up some stats on Pollard and just really, he, he had a really, really impressive season. I mean, he was mm-hmm. the fantasy RB seven. Uh, and that was in a timeshare with Ezekiel Elliott, a pretty healthy timeshare. I think Zeke missed a couple games and was dinged up. So, you know, Pollard had some extra work here and there. Uh, but still, fantasy RB7. Uh, per PFF, he had the fourth highest run grade, the ninth highest receiving grade amongst running backs. Per pro football uh, reference, he led the league in uh, yards after contact per attempt, 2.6, and was 15th among running backs in rush attempts per broken tackle, uh, 17.5. So, in other words, I said all that to say this. He's really, really good. Uh, I think, you know, I took him in our uh, early mock draft, I think in the fourth or fifth round uh, at underdog. He's going, I think, pick 38 uh, RB 13 going pick 38, which is pretty late for RB 13. So you can see that the, the running backs are getting pushed down this year, heading into this 2023 season as maybe we just don't know where all these running backs are going to land. But I think he's a really good value there. That's you're talking uh, running back, quote unquote, dead zone there, and you can get Pollard, who already posted RB one numbers uh, in a timeshare, and now you have him basically in the same situation. His off uh, his his new offensive coordinator wants to run the ball more, and they might part ways with Ezekiel Elliott, who's starting to decline. It appears so. I, I think he's a really good value, and as far as McCarthy, you know he, you know I, I think what's happening with Dallas is that they have. Kellen Moore was the scapegoat Mm -hmm. and you saw how quickly he got a new job. So he's, you know, he's well-regarded around the league. McCarthy's got to blame, you know, place the blame somewhere. So now he's going to look at what Moore did and try to improve upon it. And this is what he's saying he's going to do. Um, I I find it kind of funny. It's just whatever it's McCarthy, you know, wanting to rest his defense. It's just, that's not 
<laughs> it's not plus EV when it comes to uh, scoring points, but it is what it is. I don't think it hurts Pollard at all. It might affect uh, Dak Prescott if he really, you know, Dalton Schultz and the receiver and CD land there. But uh, I don't know that he's really going to change the, the past run split that, that much heading into 2023. I just mentioned the quotes every time we get a chance to, because McCarthy is the only coach in the entire NFL who is forced to play two sides. Like he needs to be a head coach, but he also needs to appease to his owner at every single conference. Also why Jones and McCarthy always say two separate things. If you ever listen back to them, they are not on the same page, whatever, but McCarthy still will please Jerry Jones any chance he gets at the same time. You mentioned Pollard being a great value. Do you foresee drafts right now being an instance like last year where Pollard is undervalued like a Saquon Barkley? Because remember, Barkley was going roughly mid to end of second round last year. And then when August and the summer came around, everyone caught on, finally got steamed up to being a low-end round one RB, and of course finished much higher than that ADP as well. Do you see foresee Pollard doing that as well in ADP? Yeah, I think, you know, if there's more people like me just coming out and saying Tony Pollard is a great value, then that helps. And then it helps his ADP or hurts it, depending on what you want to yeah. your perspective on it. But I think also as the season and offseason goes on and these drafts con continue, the the folks that are going to be drafting running backs early start to come in later. And so your ADP uh, on these like RB13 is not typically going to be in the early fourth round. It's usually going to be in the late second or early third round, uh, if I remember correctly. So I think his ADP will probably rise into the early third, uh, maybe late second. Uh, he's that talented and he's already got, you know, an RB7 finish on his resume uh, in a timeshare. So especially if something happens with Zeke, and you're looking at Pollard, you know, in that 15 to 20 touch range per game. And, you know, he's got a great, great chance to finish as a fantasy RB1 again. I, too, am much higher on Pollard right now than RB13 as he's being drafted. The Giants, Cowboys divisional foe, of course, have a lot of moving pieces up in the air. And that includes Mike Garofolo's recent report that... As it stands, Daniel Jones's representatives are en route to meet up with Joe Shane and Brian Dable for a potential contract extension. And by the time everyone hears this, honestly, I'm assuming Jones will have put pen to paper with the Giants on that deal. And so let's discuss this as if it's already been finalized. And Jones, who tacked on seven rushing points per game with his legs last year and was one of only 10 quarterbacks to average over 18 points per game, is a giant ahead of free agency. And so what are your thoughts on him and year two under Dable, knowing that they also returned Isaiah Hodgins in free agency, who happened to be their number one receiver last year? Yeah, Jones was uh, surprisingly productive as a fantasy QB1 last year. He was mm -hmm. the number nine fantasy quarterback. I think he was 10th in points per game. And you underlined why it was his uh, ability to run the ball. Uh, but I think, you know, the first year with him and, and Dable went really well. And I would think that you would be able to count on them building off of that. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to finish better than where he finished this last season, QB9, uh, because the, the landscape of the quarterback position could change. But he did that with a really suspect group of receivers. Uh, you know, Kenny Galladay didn't provide anything uh, of, you know, substantial. Uh, Darius Slayton had a decent run. Uh, Hodgins came in. Uh, Richie James. I mean, these are the top three 
receivers. He lost his tight end Bellinger, who was a rookie midseason. You know, is in and out of the lineup. So really, you know, finishes a low end QB one with no great weapons to speak of. They do like Hodgins. Uh, he did come on late last year, and maybe they found something with him. But I would expect, you know, they traded Kadarius Tony away. Uh, but I would suspect that they uh, address the position and have an improved uh, receiving core. It couldn't really get much worse heading into the season than what they were running running out there. Uh, so, I, you know, I'd like him as a value. I'm not sure what his ADP is right now, uh, but as a low-end QB1, maybe if you miss out on that top tier of of guys, maybe you can get him in, you know, I don't. He, he's probably going to be going in the QB. No, nobody really likes him. I mean, nobody loves to draft Daniel Jones as your starting quarterback, but I think with his ability to run, He's a value if he's going in those uh, QB2 ranks. Currently, the QB14 overall, you have him as your low-end QB1, QB12. So you are higher. And I do tend to agree, assuming that they're going to use draft picks, cap space, to upgrade their wide receiver room, which is something they were very big on at the Combine. They made it known they're in the wide receiver market, which makes sense considering Hodgins is literally the only healthy wide receiver under contract right now since Wandell Robinson who will be their number two, number one receiver this year, but he's still recovering from his torn ACL late in the year. So certainly interesting team to monitor ahead of free agency. We also know the Bears hold the keys to the 2023 draft. And when asked about Justin Fields and the number one pick, Bears GM Ryan Poles confirmed he was very open to trading the number one overall pick before the new league year even opens next week on March 15th, which also suggests the Bears are interested and open to trading for a contract or a soon-to-be free agent in a sign-and-trade deal. That's what makes it most interesting. Peter King also, in his column on NBC Sports, mentioned that Poles is clear he's not trading fields and, quote, he's not picking a QB high in the draft either. So right now, Paulson Fields is currently being drafted as the overall QB5 to open the fourth round and the big board on underdog. Is this a situation given that with this league high in cap space, we assume they're going to upgrade their offense, especially a wide receiver, that you want to be high on fields as a top five quarterback this year. Yeah, I was just looking at my rankings. I have Lamar Jackson ahead of him at five. I'm sure he's being drafted after fields in a situation. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, you know, you could probably move fields ahead there. No big deal. Uh, yeah, you look at what he did last year, QB6, fantasy-wise, and they really didn't let him throw the ball much at all the first I don't know, six or eight games, and then he really came on. Uh, he didn't really throw the ball a ton, but you know he started getting some pass attempts in the high 20s, and that allowed him to add some uh, pretty good passing numbers to his really, really, really good rushing floor. Uh, you know, Darnell Mooney, I think, is people are sleeping on him a little bit. Uh, he didn't do, he didn't get off to a great start either, but that was a lot to do with what the Bears were doing offensively, not even really throwing the ball. Uh, he came on uh, second half of the season as well as soon as they let Fields throw it. Cole Komet's pretty good uh, fantasy tight end. So if they could just find, you know, they they traded for Chase Claypool. They, they kind of burned a pick on uh, some some draft capital on him. Uh, is, if either he can kind of get it together or they can find another uh, stud or a good top 20, top 30 type player at receiver, then Fields is going to be set up pretty nicely because I think, you know, Mooney and, and Komet are good number two, number three options. Uh, so I think, he, you know, with his rushing floor, I think uh, QB5 is totally reasonable. I mean, I, I would only draft Hertz for sure. I'd only draft Hertz, Allen, Mahomes, and Burrow ahead of him. And you can make a case that maybe he has more upside than Burrow. Another team in the quarterback market, 
because when asked about what they are looking for at quarterback, coach Shane Steichen of the Colts responded, accuracy, decision-making, the ability to create, and the important part is that after saying the ability to create, he also said, and that can come in all different shapes and sizes, obviously referencing Bryce Young, but he went on to say a guy that is obsessed with football and that loves it. From every little piece of the combine that I heard, the Colts are very high on CJ Stroud, my QB1, if you listened back with the last week's episode between Hayden Winks and I in this class. But for you, Paulson, understanding that the QB situation is in limbo there, I want to discuss Michael Pittman's ADP. Because remember, Pittman ran 11 more curl routes than the next closest receiver in the league last year, averaging a five-yard depth of target during those routes. 48% of his targets actually came within five yards of the line of scrimmage as well. But new coach, new OC. So we're expecting the lid, hopefully, to be lifted off of him. So currently being drafted as a low-end wide receiver, too, where do you see Pittman falling in this in this stage of best ball drafts. Yeah, he's, you know, there's a subset of teams right now that don't have a quarterback. So it's sort of hard to rank these receivers not knowing yeah. who they're going to end up with. I mean, maybe they, you know, maybe they end up with Aaron Rodgers. Maybe he ends up with a rookie. Maybe he ends up with a bad rookie. We don't know. So the, I tend to rank uh, receivers who have a, a stable quarterback situation a bit higher uh, if they're, you know, pretty similar players. I think I like Pittman a lot as a player. He's a good, you know, does very well with the charting of uh, in uh, route running as well. And he had also had his breakout season. He's a good young player. Uh, kind of, you know, you think of him as maybe, uh, you know, Mike Evans, um, Chris Godwin type, where they're, both of those players are a little more established, but they're also dealing with a very unknown quarterback situation. So there's some risk there. Uh Probably, you know, some of these players, if they're going a little bit later, uh, they're, they're slipping a little bit because like, eh, I don't know, you know, maybe I'll take Jerry Judy over him or uh, Christian Kirk, uh, you know, because I know I know who the quarterback's going to be. Uh, yeah, you start to take a chance on them in the fourth, fifth round. A uh, lot of upside there, if, if especially if the quarterback uh, situation, if they're able to find somebody really good, then his, his stock's going to rise into the, you know, top 20. Another situation. That's at Lembo, but we need to discuss because right now, Tua Tagovailoa is your QB 10. And these, of course, rankings uh, are slowly being adjusted. But when they asked GM Chris Greer about looking for alternative options at quarterback this year, he said, he responded, and I quote, I can't lie and say no. That is not really helpful for our situation in drafting Tua, who, remember, against an easier schedule, did flash a ceiling, including a four consecutive streak of 300 plus yard performances so what does this do with Tua do you want to temper your expectations in this offense or just his situation in Miami in general and instead be behind on him as he continues being drafted as a low-end QB1 yeah he's going QB9 and I have him I think QB10 I'm just looking at the underdog ADP and it's a really interesting uh, group here after your top few you get past uh we, we mentioned Jackson going six, Herbert mm -hmm. uh, seven. You know, he seems like a really safe pick. Trevor Lawrence, really safe pick coming on. Had a great year last year. Dak Prescott, pretty safe pick at eight. And then you're getting into Deshaun Watson, who looked terrible for large stretches last year. Kirk Cousins, who is kind of like the milk toast pick where he's safe. He, he always finishes as a low end uh, QB one, but probably isn't going to win many weeks for you. And then you get into two, uh, and then Trey Lance, which I, we, at some point need to talk about his ADP, but I guess, you know, they're looking at him as the starter there in San Francisco. So 
you know, Tua did well. Uh, heading into last year, we noted at 4 for 4 that he had the highest adjusted uh, completion percentage on deep balls. And we thought that that was going to be a really good fit with uh, Tyreek Hill. Uh, obviously, he's got a lot of speed there with Jalen Waddell as well. And he finished again uh, with the highest adjusted uh, deep ball percentage. So if he's healthy and ready to go, I really like him as a fantasy quarterback. But this it is a bit unknown as to what his status is. And the comments there that you mentioned are a little bit worrisome. But I think you're, you, know, you could see the quarterback position and how dicey it is after you get past the first eight or nine players because uh, there's just a whole lot of people that you could make a case for in that nine to 12 range. In being, as you mentioned, the QB nine drafted right now, I would argue there is no value in that ADP. Uh, what say you is this situation where at QB nine, you would be out on currently because if he was obviously QB 13, QB 14, okay, there's still a little value in there. Ceiling's not baked in, but honestly at QB nine, maybe the ceiling is baked in. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think two is capable of posting top eight, top six numbers if he mm -hmm. plays a full season. But we're, I mean, these concussions are, you know, adding up and, you know, all it takes is one more hit and he might be out for a while. And, you know, this is now his third or fourth concussion or whatever. So it's dicey. And I think if you miss out on the, you miss out on Herbert Lawrence Prescott and you're looking for your QB one, especially in best ball, you probably want to just wait and get a little committee of two or three guys that are going in the QB 15 to QB 25 range and, and create a little uh, committee that way, uh, as opposed to burning a high, high-ish draft pick on, on Tua, not knowing exactly how the Dolphins are, are going to deal with him this year. With Devin Singletary being a free agent for the Bills and GM Bean and, of course, Coach Sean McDermott, having yet to hand out a large second contract to any running back, being at the Combine was asked about James Cook being able to handle a starter's workload, and he responded, quote, I think he can be in that 15 to 16 touch range, whether as a pass catcher or getting handoffs. The Bills could also save $4.7 by just outright cutting Naheem Hines ahead of free agency. So right now, what are your thoughts on James Cook ahead of free agency in the regular season? Yeah, I think if, if Singletary moves on, and that's not a sure thing, and they might be able to work out a cheaper deal for him if he doesn't have a really hot uh, free agent market. I think they do want to run a committee. Even saying that uh, Cook is going to see 15 to 16 touches, that indicates that there's going to be at least just one other player with a pretty si significant role there. Uh, but, you know, 15 touches times 17 games, 255 touches, that's a very healthy workload. And, you know, if he's getting maybe four catches a game, then certainly in PPR and half PPR formats, he's going to have quite a bit of upside. Uh, you know, I think in, in this offense, can he post RB1 numbers with that sort of workload? I don't know because, you know, Josh Allen does vulture a lot of rushing touchdowns, but, you know, he's, uh, I'm not sure where he's going either. I haven't looked, but, you know, if he's going in the RB2, RB3 range right now, then he certainly has high end RB2 range if he is the, the starting uh, running back for the uh, for the Bills and is seeing that sort of workload. Chargers GM Tom Telesco doubled down on his comments made in January and said, quote, Keenan Allen isn't going anywhere. And remember, Keenan Allen didn't play over 40% of the snaps in any appearance through week 11 due to multiple injuries, but then returned and closed the year with a 26.6% target share at full strength across his last eight games from Justin Herbert. And obviously, we know if he was cut, 
Allen would have suitors lining up through the door for a veteran slot receiver who commands targets with amazing hands. So your thoughts on Keenan Allen now that we still assume it's not guaranteed since we've seen others promised Leonard Fournette being the most recent and 24 hours later get cut, but just assuming Allen will be playing with Herbert yet again this year. Yeah. When I heard that, I moved him up. Uh, it sounds like they're intent on having him back and, you know, knowing that he's back with his quarterback and Justin Herbert's talented and it's a good offense and all that. Uh, that certainly removes some of the, uh, you know, murky, you know, murky situation around him and mm-hmm. uncertainty regarding his future. Uh, from a per game standpoint, he was the wide receiver 12. Uh, so he could still play. I think the, the concern is the injury, as you mentioned, I mean, he missed almost the whole first half of the season, uh, you know, started the season with four for 66 on four targets, but only played 32% of the snaps. Came back in week seven, two for 11 on two targets, 32% of the snaps, but then went on a pretty good tear uh, from week 11 to week 18. He was double digits in PPR uh, with a minimum of 12.4, a maximum of 30.2 in week 17. So actually a minimum of 11.8 in week 17. So, you know, he was seeing, he averaged 8.9 targets per game. Uh, and that included a couple games at the start where he just didn't see much. So three, uh, 14 target games, uh, 11 target game uh, down the stretch. So still one of the favorite targets of Herbert. He's 31 now. Uh, so if you're going to discount him, it's due to the you know age and not necessarily production, but uh, propensity to get injured and to maybe re- tweak those hamstrings and, and miss some time. Uh, certainly moved him up a bit based on the fact that he's going to be likely back with, with the Chargers. Another receiver. We received a little more confidence that he'll be around his own team is T Higgins because when the media asked Bengals GM Duke Tobin about the T Higgins trade rumors, he responded, they want a receiver, go find your own. In my opinion, T Higgins is a good piece for the Cincinnati Bengals. The trade stuff is a little ridiculous right now. Zach Taylor also called the rumors nonsense. But what's funny, Paulson, is that when asked about Joe Mixon, Tobin was not quite as quick to put his foot down. He instead said, I'm not going to predict the offseason because I don't have the answers. And also quoted Kevin Malone from the office, which can never be a good thing. We were talking about players that could potentially be cut and save yourself 7.1 million as Mixon probably could. So your thoughts on T Higgins now that we think he's going to be back in this offense. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, looking at rankings and weekly rankings, Higgins ended up higher than probably should have been most of last year, although he is a good player. Um, he didn't seem to live up to his weekly rankings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, I have him 11. I think he's just like upper tier um, in the league in terms of one of the best wide receiver twos in the league, uh, real world. So you're looking at him with Devonta Smith, who also had a great year, uh, Jalen Waddell, that kind of group where you've got the you – know, don't have the the mega, mega – workload uh you know you don't have that baseline uh 10 targets per game type that you would like out of your wide receiver one but he's you know playing with a good quarterback and he's a very productive player so higgins you know he's is the, he's towards the top of a long list of wide receiver twos that i'd be happy with in the middle of rounds um and as for mixon you know why uh, running back uh, 18 in my rankings right now very productive player but a lot of uncertainty, as you mentioned, like if they want to move on and, and uh, make a change at running back, then he's going to be out there in the wind and we don't know exactly where he's going to land. And that's, that's key for, that's key for him for in terms of a landing spot. You talk about not living up to expectations. That's 
Terry McLaurin to a T, and it's not his fault at all. But McLaurin has yet to finish inside the top 20 wide receivers and points per game and half PPR leagues through his career, despite having an ADP inside the top 20 at his position every single season because of the commander's quarterback situation each and every year. And what we found out at the combine was Ron Rivera on Sam Howe said, I'm not saying he's a starter. I'm saying he will start as the guy with the first chance, but he will have some competition. We got to go out and look and see if there's another veteran guy we want to bring in. Eric Bieniemy, of course, comes over from Casey in the same role to coordinate this offense under Rivera. And even with the number 16 overall pick this year, a terrific locked-in beat reporter like J.P. Finley is even floated names like Gardner Minshew, Teddy Bridgewater, and Taylor Heineke instead being a potential veteran bridge to come in and so-called compete with Sam Howe. So your thoughts on Sam Howe and Terry McLaurin potentially being the QB1 and wide receiver one for this offense in 2023. I think with McLaurin, we felt pretty good once Heineke took over at quarterback because they had a good rapport and he would tar- he would target McLaurin pretty significantly. We just don't know how much Howell is going to do that. And, you know, it makes McLaurin a little bit more of a dicey pick. He is the, the clear number one there, although Jahan Dotson had a great rookie season. Uh, I, don't, I don't think Curtis Samuel is a big threat to McLaurin's role as a wide receiver one there. Um, but this is another guy who we just don't know how the quarterback situation is going to play out. You know, we, we think it's Howell is going to be the starter, but how good is he going to be? He's Howell himself is more of a, has more upside as a runner uh, than is what we know of, of him as a passer. Uh, so that could make uh, McLaurin a little bit of a risky pick there in the fourth, fifth, sixth round this this season. Also, in terms of star players, we have yet to see hit their ceiling. Dan Campbell was asked a lot of things, but asked about DeAndre Swift. And he said, quote, we'll start all over from scratch. Let's find another way to see if we can help him stay on the field and already know he's doing that for himself. We've got to do that on our end. What can we do to be better by him? Because he's just too talented to not have out there. And that quote makes sense since... Swift, of course, from week two on, when he suffered his first injury of many on the year, reached double-digit touches in only six of his last 13 games, despite being explosive and averaging 5.8 yards per touch in that span. So how are you handling Swift as the current overall RB15 in drafts? Do you consider that a value at ADP? Yeah, Swift's Swift's a tough one because he's one of these really valuable or talented players, but we just don't know what his workload's going to be. If, you know, if Jamal Williams is back, we know that he's going to get the goal line uh, work. Uh, and they were even even when Swift was supposedly healthy, they were working Justin Jackson in, they were working uh, Craig Reynolds in in some games, and they were very content to have a three headed. Uh, committee as opposed to just getting it down to Williams and Swift. And I think if it was just Williams and Swift, then you'd have more faith in Swift as a, you know, receiving back where he's getting uh, at least three or four catches per game. He did for the most part, get at least three or four catches per game, but the, uh, the rushing numbers weren't there hardly at all. He didn't, I mean, he only cracked 60 yards rushing twice uh, after his injury. So you know he did he did score some touchdowns and stuff, but I think the I think that issue is the is that third running back in that committee, and if they're going to continue to do that, then I don't know that uh, Swift is going to be able to return high end RB two value. He's certainly talented enough, but uh, if they aren't going to lean on him, or if they're afraid to use him due to injury, 
then that certainly caps his upside. And yes, Jamal Williams is a free agent, but we fully expect him to return to Detroit. Sounded like both sides were very interested in that ahead of the open market. Another team we are maybe expecting to add a running back is the Jaguars, because when asked about Travis Etienne, Doug Peterson bluntly stated that the team will add at least one running back, at least is important there, because he also continued and said two, three, and four potentially to work into the rotation. ETN, as we know, handled 85% of backfield touches in the 11 games. He finished without James Robinson to close the year, but he was injured, to Peterson's point, twice down the stretch. So currently, Paulson, flying off boards, the low-end RB1 in the mid-third round. Where do you stand on ETN following these comments? Well, I mean, I think I'd rather have Pollard. Uh, Maybe I'm in the minority on that, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Similarly talented players. I think Pollard's probably a little bit better just on a pure talent standpoint. But if you look at ETN's season as a whole, and he did sort of inherit that starting job there, not right at the start of the season, but a little bit after that, you know, ETN's finished uh, RB17 on the year. Uh, If we're looking at what his workload might be, you know, he only averaged 13 carries and two catches. So, and he finishes an RB2. So, like, I would expect that. Even if they add somebody and it's a committee, I would ex- still expect him to see 15 uh, touches per game. So I think, you know, middle of the RB2 ranks is probably safe. And he probably has a little bit more upside too if they decide to wait or, you know, something happens on draft day and they don't add a really re- good running back. If they just add sort of a body, uh, then ETN would have a little bit more upside from from there. Uh, he did carry the ball a lot and towards the t- ends of the, you know, middle and end of the season. And, you know, he averaged 5.1 yards per carry. So obviously very effective. And he, you know, they didn't use him as much as a receiver as maybe we were expecting. He didn't, he, he never caught more than three passes in a, in a single game uh, during the regular season, which was a little bit unusual because, you know, coming out of college, he was pegged as one of these uh, scat pack type mm-hmm. uh, receivers, but he really wasn't. Led the SEC in receptions in his final healthy year in college. Another coach and GM that decided to come out and say they are interested in adding multiple running backs as Falcons GM Terry Fontenot, who said, quote, you need to have multiple running backs to preserve their career and take care of them. We love Tyler Algier, but it's a position you always have to add to. And recall, without any competition, Algier did close the year with four consecutive top 13 finishes, whereas he had just one top 13 finish in his first 12 games around Cordero Patterson and Bryce Huntley. So overall, where do you stand on Algier heading into 2023? Yeah, his, you know, I've, I've been burned a few times thinking that these second year guys are going to be the, you know, uh, bell cow player the following year and, you know, just going to inherit that role. Uh, so I'm a little bit cautious on him. I want to see what, how the draft and free agency plays out and see what they actually do at, at the position uh, and, and whether or not they, you know, they, they did like to run a committee this last year. So I think that's what they want to do. So it's just a matter of having the talent in order to, to justify taking Algier off the, off the field. So we'll have to see what happens in the draft right now. I have him at RB 29. That might be a little bit low, but to me, he's, he kind of smells like a Pacheco at acres, miles Sanders, uh, you know, AJ Dillon, Ezekiel Elliott type right now, likely in some kind of committee, even though he may be the lead back. And of course, Caleb Huntley and Damian Williams just couldn't be healthy at the end, which also allowed Algier to explode in that closing stretch. And finally, we can't have a show without allowing you to comp 
comment on the Packers and Packers GM Brian Gutenkunz on Jordan Love mentioned that he, quote, definitely needs to play. I think that's the next step in his progression. I think he's ready for that. Not every quarterback comes into this league ready to go out there and play. I think he needed a little time, but over the last year and a half or so, we've seen that's the next step in his progression. Of course, Love, those instances where we've seen him play significant snaps was his start where they covered against the Packers. Are at Arrow? Are they covered against the Chiefs at Arrowhead in 2021 when Rodgers had COVID and missed a start? And then the second half, of course, uh, at Detroit. Oh, yeah. And the fourth quarter of Philadelphia this past year when Rodgers exited with injured ribs. So, your thoughts on Jordan Love? And from everything you're hearing, do you think he is the starter for the Packers this year? Uh, you know, things seem to be heading towards a new quarterback in green bay it does sound like the the packers are just reading between the lines in some of these reports that maybe they're just didn't think that rogers was completely mike silver wrote in a piece for bally sports that they seemed to indicate that the packers didn't seem convinced that aaron Rodgers was all in in terms of uh wanting to win or wanting to win a super bowl and you know mm-hmm. you know he might hear that and bristle uh, but you know, they're the Packers are the ones that are there and that are dealing with them. And, uh, you know, they, they, he also indicated silver did that the winning stretch, uh, the winning streak down the stretch when their backs against were against the wall sort of indicated that what he can do or what the team can do when, you know, we're not kind of taking it easy or not too worried about wins and losses, or we'll get it together type of attitude. Uh, they thought that they should have had that maybe from, from week one. Uh, they apparently not crazy about the fact that he didn't, show up to OTAs, uh, throw with his new receivers in the offseason, um, you know, whereas Patrick Mahomes would host throwing sessions with all his receivers to get in the in, on the same page. Rodgers really didn't do that. So then, predictably, they blame the, the early season struggles on that. So it just seems like there's some shots being take, taken and maybe there's some you know groundwork being laid uh, to sort of uh, make this divorce happen. And it really depends on whether or not Rodgers wants to play another season. Does he want to play for the Packers? Is he open to going to play for the Jets, for example? Uh, you know, or the Colts or somebody. I really heard the Colts be involved, but they should, maybe they should be. Um, it does seem like, I would say, 55-45, maybe 60-40, that it's going to be Jordan Love uh, as the starter. And I think, you know, we don't have a lot to go on with him. I think the general... Uh, Pat Fitzmorris is one of my good friends, also a Packer fan, and he's not real high on love at all. And I think the, you know, it was nice to see him come in that Philly game and do really well. You know, how how normal of a defense was Philly running or were they just sort of playing prevent? Uh, but he had some nice throws in that game. He's got a good arm. Uh, I would like to see him with a bunch of really good stats in the preseason, which he doesn't really have, to feel really confident about him. Uh, but you know, as if if he's the starter there, you, I think you're looking as a low on QB two. I probably would rather go with his upside over a Derek Carr, who we talked about earlier. So you know, maybe ranked in that 18 to 20, 18 to 22 range, um, and and it also depends on what they do at uh, receiver because they just don't have enough receivers yet. Christian Watson did well, uh, but Lazard is a free agent. Uh, Dobbs had a pretty good stretch, but he's nothing. He's nothing special at this point. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but I think they still have some work to do at receiver. Uh, and that will also you know, affect his ranking uh, in the quarterback ranks. 
knowing that we are shooting for edges in these large field top heavy payouts, would you be willing to risk Jordan Love as your QB two and two quarterback only builds? Or is this a situation right now where you just feel safer drafting a third quarterback with him? I think the chances of Rodgers coming back and playing another season are high enough that it would make me hesitant to just have him as my, you know, my QB two. I mean, you could do a build where you're banking on that and maybe you draft Watson. He's going a little early for my taste, but maybe you go Watson and, and love and have a stack there uh, and roll with it. But I don't, I think, you know, I think the, the fact that Rodgers is still a Packer and is still under contract makes it a little bit dicey to count on him as your QB two. There are, a few other things coaches and GMs mention during their press conferences at the combine and I'll quick hit everyone for everyone to close the show. But I do know you have thoughts on one in particular. You mentioned Trey Lance currently your QB 28 who is being drafted closer to a high end quarterback two right now, as if he's guaranteed to play week one post injury Brock Purdy. Of course, the news from the combine was that he went ahead with surgery a surgery typically reserved for baseball players too. And so we don't think really he'll be available for week one. So what are your thoughts with Trey Lance's ADP right now? Well, it seems really high. Uh, I'm looking at that situation. I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. I guess it's you pencil in Trey Lance, but it depends on Purdy's, you know, if Purdy's healthy, is he the starter? Because he seemed to do better. They seemed to, to be ready to roll with him as a starter if he had not mm-hmm. gotten injured uh, in the playoffs heading into 2023. So, you know, valuing Lance as a low-end QB1 seems, you know, putting the cart in front of the horse a little bit, not knowing where Purdy's going to land and if any other quarterback's going to come in uh, into the mix. Like, you know, they could they could talk Tom Brady out of retirement. I don't know. So something uh, like that could happen. I don't I, – I feel like it's, you're looking at that group. I guess he does have that upside because of his, his rushing ability and it is a, such a good offense for quarterbacks to play in. Uh, but it just doesn't seem like he does has that uh, firm firm grasp on the job. A bridge veteran quarterback to not just compete, just to be available, just to be there, makes a ton of sense. And quickly, I would note, Vikings coach Kevin O'Connell mentioned numerous times, without being provoked to answer this way, noted the team is consistently trying to get into the cap. So if everyone, everyone drafting right now, I would almost guarantee Adam Thielen is cut to save this team $6.4 million ahead of free agency. But I would also keep an eye out on Dalvin Cook, knowing that this isn't a run-centric offense and they can plug and play a number of guys there. He saves the team if they cut Cook $7.9 million ahead of the new league year. I really think that's an option to get done. Texan GM Nick Cesario said the team will try to do what's best when it comes to Brandon Cook's trade request that he dropped on them ahead of the combine. I would think he's moved as well. Bucks GM Jason Light said Kyle Trask would have been the Bucks 2022 starter if Tom Brady did not return, which I also think is a little active. I'm calling bullshit on that one, considering that Trask was inactive for 14 games last year behind Blaine Gabbert, who's a free agent. Nonetheless, we're expecting Trask to at least be in a competition to open training camp with a veteran. Javante Williams, per Broncos GM George Payton, is quote-unquote on track in his recovery. Though, Paulson, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this too, I would guess Williams is going to be inactive for week one. And I think we're looking at a J.K. Dobbins season where everyone's overdrafting him, being too ahead of his recovery. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I've been talking to Adam Hutchinson, our injury expert, about that. And, 
you know, we, I think we as a site faded Dobbins um, more than average last year, just due to these, you know, coming back off these ACLs is tough, uh, mm-hmm. especially if they don't have the full year or mo- almost a year to, to recover. Uh, but we are, I think I saw you tweet this, John, we are, we're in on track season right now. Like this is yep. when everybody's on track. Brees Hall was on track as well. Yep. We're months, months away from week one. So everybody's on track. Uh, to be ready week one. Certainly if, you know, he's ahead of schedule, we get reports like that. Him and Hall are both, are, are the two guys we're really watching closely. Uh, both are really talented and mo- would move up in the rankings if uh, they're going to, it looks like we're going to be available week one. But, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times these guys come back and they have some uh, injury that's unrelated uh, to, the, to the knee or it's semi-related to the knee. They pull a hamstring, they do something else because they're coming back a little too quickly. Uh, and they miss some games. And so if you miss, if you're if you're counting on a, a player with it coming off the ACL to miss two or three games, which is I mean three or four games more than the average, which is two, that that knocks them down a few spots in the in the rankings uh, because of total points and all that. So it, it it's a big it's a big hamstring on their their fantasy value. So uh, certainly though, Brees Hall, Javante Williams could have a lot of value at the end of the season. So if you're able to get them at any sort of discount off their current ADP. Uh, they might help you in these tournaments to to have them available in December uh, at a at a price that's lower uh, because you're able to get them at a discount uh, in in March. And how much underdog ADP fluctuates? It's the most accurate ADP in the market. I would guess we will get them at a discount at some point. But right now, basically being Brees Hall, a top ten running back drafted, Javante Williams just behind him. Right now, in my opinion, is not that time. Also. DeAndre Hopkins, under contract for two more years for the Cardinals, age 30 season approaching, due to make $19.4 million in 2023, but on the trade block and likely will be traded. So if you're out there stacking in drafts right now, I would not be doing it with Kyler Murray, whomever you think is going to be under center for the Cardinals, with Hopkins. Take your chances elsewhere. The Chiefs have been rumored in that deal. Rams have given Allen Robinson permission to seek trades. And Normally, I think I would say they won't find a suitor, but not only have they already mentioned they are willing to eat a portion of his $15.5 million salary for this upcoming year, but we know how weak this wide receiver market is, which Kobe Myers or Juju Smith-Schuster arguably being the top options. So I actually think there will be a market for Allen Robinson at half or three-quarters of the salary. And then... Finally, both coach Pete Carroll and GM John Schneider for the Seahawks confirmed they are, quote, totally connected to the quarterbacks coming out with either the number five or number 20 overall picks, though both are adamant Geno Smith will continue being Seattle's quarterback, which, Paulson, we will discuss next week when I pull you out from retirement again, since we are ahead of a very big free agency week. What else do you have on the site for everyone right now? Uh, I'm I'm doing the news as I mentioned uh, right now, uh, but uh, hopefully that won't last too long. I, You're joining us, plebes. You're getting your hands dirty again. Oh, uh, it's a little yeah. Uh, I did it for years and years and years. It was one yeah. of my requests is to get out of it. Uh, I've got the uh, free agent uh, preview coming uh, this week, so it'll be basically a large list of all the the free agents that are uh, currently available and uh, kind of a breakdown of. Uh, the the rules for free agency, which I, I do every year. So uh, once that's done, I'll probably be doing a free agency winners and losers you know, a couple weeks into free agency to sort of discuss uh, the you know the players that moved uh, up and down the rankings based on where they landed or what happened with other players being signed as, as free agents. 
Available targets and air yards and carries are all on the site, consistently being updated daily for franchise tags and free agency. And I, too, will also have the free agent tracker right behind you, just giving my blurbs live on the site as every notable position gets signed throughout free agency. And then, of course, that will trickle in, as you mentioned, to your free agency winners and losers. We are back, for better or worse. We are back, and there's no more free time in our lives. So stay tuned to 44.com. And remember, until next time, a little bit tired. Let's go.